0: If you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to start there. Just want to let you know, we um, had a neat opportunity on Friday. We got a chance to be in part, part of Youth for Christ. Um, and on Friday, they had an after-school, um, I think they called it a splash-tacular, something like that. But anyway, there was about 120, 125 uh, students that were there after school. Uh, we got an opportunity um, to cook some hamburgers and hot dogs for the students. Uh, Word of Life came over, and uh, they shared the gospel. And there was a, it was a partnership of a, a couple different churches that um, are just been friends. The youth pastors are friends. The pastors are friends. And I think there was about 22 kids that said yes to Jesus uh, Friday afternoon on the Seabring High School practice football field. So it's pretty cool to see that the students being out there. And so we had a neat opportunity uh, to be part of that, excited about what God is uh, doing in our own community. Uh, And just young people's lives as well. So if you have your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 2. And I want to start out uh, with a word called expectations. And so I was thinking about uh, this passage of Scripture and just studying uh, Matthew chapter 2. Normally, when we go to Matthew chapter 2, we find the Magi, we find Herod, uh, we find Joseph, we find this Magi that are bringing their gifts, uh, which are all, that's all part of of, uh, Matthew chapter 2. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But what was interesting as I was thinking about Matthew chapter 2 and I was thinking about the Jews that, that Matthew's writing to, the Jews had expectations of their Messiah. And so now Matthew is going to write some things to them. Some of them are Old Testament things. Some things have just kind of jumped out of the, off the page to me this week as I was studying. But it's interesting as we gather this morning, all of us have expectations. And it's in almost every area of our lives. And as I was thinking about expectations, I found this quote, Expectations is the root of all heartache. Now, there is some debate about who is the author of this, so I didn't put a a name to it because I don't want to argue with you about if I'm right or wrong who who I quoted it from. But is that true? If you think about your life, most of the time when you have heartache is because you have an unmet expectation. You go to lunch and you're thinking, man, this is going to be great. I went to lunch this week. I ate this place in a long time. I won't tell you where it was. And I'm going to go for some wings and I'm excited. I'm not telling you where I ate. That's a secret. And there's certain places that I go that I like wings. I have expectations. I didn't meet my expectations this week. I left there thinking, man, I missed out today. I paid way too much money for these. And then I went down to my favorite butcher. And I bought me a bag full of wings. Five pound bag. You know how much I paid for them? Nine dollars. For a five pound bag of chicken wings. I'm going to cook them on Monday. See if I like those better. So the reality is, if I, and then the thing is, is, we always have this thought, Lord, if you just put me over here then I'll be better. God, if you just set me up on that side, it'll be better. And so as you gather this this morning, I realize that you all have expectations when you come to church. You have expectations. Maybe somebody won't sit in my area. Maybe there will be room for parking And it's the summer, so we have room for parking. But we have expectations. All of us do. And so now when you come to the word of God, you're going to have there's expectations. You think about Matthew chapter 2. You've already got thoughts in your mind about Matthew chapter 2. Oh God, I see this, and I see this, and I see this. What I want you to do is lay your expectations down and come back to the passage of Scripture. And I'm going to show you something I thought was very interesting. Come back to the part where you go to Matthew chapter 2 in the very beginning. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. As you gather around this this passage of scripture, we read through the Magi part really fast. And as I was thinking about this Magi part, it's fascinating to me that they're the ones that came from the east to where? To Jerusalem. What were they looking for? The king of the Jews. And they weren't just saying, you know what, let me just see the king of the Jews The Magi came for a reason. And the reason was was to worship. The other thing that's interesting, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to this part of it, is you see Joseph here. And what fascinates me about Joseph is Joseph is just a carpenter. And over a series of dreams, God is saying to this carpenter, are you going to trust the word of the Lord? When I speak to you, will you follow me? When I step into your world and say, here's the word from from God Almighty, will you do what I want you to do? Will you obey? And so this morning as we gather around the Magi, they've came to worship, they're in Jerusalem. What's interesting is, is most of us, as you think about, as you read through this passage of Scripture, we haven't thought a whole lot about Herod. Let me just give you a little background about Herod. Herod at this point in his life is about 70 years old. He's a brutal king. He has ten different wives. As I was doing some of my research, uh, he had married one of his wives that I can't really pronounce. He married about thirty years earlier, and Herod actually had two of his own, their boys strangled at the place that he chose to marry this wife. He'd been married to him for thirty years. In a few days before when Herod died, before his own personal death, he killed his own son. And then he had all the leading Jews of the territory come to his palace. And when they came, he imprisoned them, giving orders that when he was to take his last breath, the moment he took his last breath, they were to kill all the Jewish leaders. He did not want rejoicing at his death. He wanted mourning. And he knew the Jews would mourn if they killed all their leaders. That's who the Magi from the East have come to have a meeting with. And what's interesting as you think about this this whole concept, who should have been aware that the king of the Jews is born? The Jews. So these magi roll into town. They come into Jerusalem. They're going to meet this king. And technically, this king should have been welcoming or moving towards, hey, there's something positive happening for the Jewish nation. The Messiah is going to be born. Not Herod. He was so wicked. He had so much insecurity that he was afraid that his throne would be overthrown. His king would be taken over with. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to do something about this king. Now as you thought your way through this, I don't know if you have, but I think you should spend some time thinking about it. What was it like for the Magi to tell their friends, Hey, we're going to Jerusalem. Why are you going to go to Jerusalem? Well, there's a the Jewish king." He's born. And we want to worship. Think about it. Really? You're going to go where? You're going to go to Jerusalem? You're from the east? Where did they get their knowledge? And we could spend a lot of different time and arguments over where they got their knowledge. Are these guys got some Jewish background? Do they have some some Jewish writings? Uh, where, were they astrologers? I don't know. Okay? I'm not going to argue with about all that stuff. What's very fascinating to me is... Some Gentiles from the East are coming to Jerusalem. Gentiles from the East are coming to Jerusalem, not just to show up to Jerusalem and say, hey, let's hang out in Jerusalem. This would be a great vacation place. No. They're coming to Jerusalem to find the Messiah. And they're not there just to find him, they're there to worship him. The Jews had no desire to worship this Messiah. These Jews had no desire to go from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and say, you know what, let's go meet this new, new, new king. They rejected that king. So God said, let me just paint this picture a little bit bigger. Let me just send some Gentiles from the east and let them send them to Bethlehem to go visit this newborn king that will be of a fulfillment of a passage of scripture in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Where is the baby going to be born? In Bethlehem. And he will be the king of the Jews. I don't, I don't get real excited. Sometimes Old Testament is very confusing to me. But if I'm a Jew, I would have known Micah chapter 5, verse 2. So when you read through Matthew, read through with the concept that God is going to use Matthew to write a book to the Jews to prove to them that he's the Messiah. So there's going to be no doubt when these Jews walk around later on, they're going to have to step back and say, wait a minute, Matthew gave me genealogy. There was going to be a baby that was to be born of a virgin. Who's his name? Jesus. Where is he going to be born? Bethlehem. Old Testament. Boom. Fulfillment of Old Testament truth. And so this morning as you sit here and you see this whole concept of a king, most of us when we go to Matthew chapter 2, we get excited about the gifts. Most of us are thinking about the three wise men. I hate to burst your bubble if you don't know this. I don't believe, know for sure that there was three wise men. I will not take a bullet that there was three wise men. So when you see the whole nativity scene and people got three wise men, I don't necessarily think there were three wise men. There were three gifts, but not necessarily three wise men. Scripture does not say three wise men. Scripture says three gifts. So if I've ruined your Christmas, I apologize. Um So, as you think about these gifts and this wise man who came to worship, let me go back up to to, uh, chapter 2 and verse 3. When King Herod heard, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, the Jews, chief priests, teachers of the law, Old Testament guys, they were supposed to know these things, they did know these things. He asked them, Where is this Christ to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea they replied for this is what the prophet was written prophet Micah chapter 5 verse 2 but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd the people of Israel they should have been looking for this Messiah they should have been down in Jerusalem saying wait a minute It's been foretold by the prophet. There's going to be a Messiah and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. It's only five miles from us. Let's go down there and let's find this guy. Let's go down there because we are Jews. We want to worship this one. No. The Gentiles, the Magi from the east, have come to town. And they have come to town to worship. I recognize this morning that most of you, you could remind me that the three gifts that they gave to this Messiah... Is gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold was probably a a representation of deity and purity. Frankincense was probably just a sweet aroma, a representative of a sweet aroma of his life. Myrrh represented his death. That's what they used to embalm the bodies. But I'm not so excited about the gifts. I'm so excited about what the magi came to do. Look at verse 11. On coming to the house, so we believe that Jesus was older. He was not a newborn baby at this point. They saw the child with his mother. Take note that they did not worship Mary. They saw the child who was with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. They said, he's the one we've come to worship. And as I think about worship, I believe that worship is a choice and worship is an action word. Most of the time when we gather, we like the part of worship, and we like the part of, when we think about worship, we like the songs, we like the music, we like the harmonies, and I love all of those things. I love music. If you're at our house, either Susan will have music on or I'll have music on, there's just music playing most of the time, except early in the morning. Most of the time there's music on. Something going on. You know what I think about? When I think about worship, I don't think about the feelings of it. I think about the ridicule of the Magi saying, from the east, where are you going? Hey, we're going to Bethlehem. There's something special there. There's a star there. We know it's true. We know it's the Messiah. And all their friends, what do you mean? Why are you going to go to Bethlehem? It's just, there's, a, there's nobody out in Jerusalem, and there's nobody in Bethlehem. You're wasting your time. No, no, not us. We're taking our best gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and we're on a trip to worship. We're going somewhere to find this newborn king, the king of the Jews. And we're going to gather there, and we're going to lay our stuff down before him. Can I tell you something this morning? If you came here this morning of expectation, other than laying down your life before the king of kings and lord of lords, we're here for the wrong reason. If you came here for me to say something for you to go in a different direction, you're here for the wrong reason. Because I have nothing to offer you in my own words. Nothing. That will sustain your life. Nothing. But I get the opportunity and the privilege to gather you together as a group and take you back to an old or to, to a passage in, in Matthew chapter two and say, hey, are you like the Magi? because I know something that's true. All of us in this room have unmet expectations of our God. All of us in this room would actually probably be more apt to say that we are troubled at times in our life because of what the Messiah has done or is doing in our lives. I put it at the top of my Bible as I was reading this week. I said, when I, I was thinking about Herod, and I was trying to figure out, why was Herod so troubled over this whole big deal? What's the... And I started thinking about, well, he's a wicked king, he's going to lose power, he's going to be destroyed because there's new Messiahs on the board. And I thought, then I just thought myself and said, no, nope, Messiah will disturb you. And think about our life. He's brought disturbance in our life For a reason. And please don't be one of those people to get mad at him and say, wait a minute, you, di- you disturb my world, now I'm mad at you. No, you disturb my world, so I would fall down on my face and say, no, you are my Messiah. I choose you. I worship you. I realize that we don't have boxes for gold, frankincense, and myrrh here, but what will our lives give as a gift of service to him? How will we say, okay, Lord, I want to serve you. I just want to be out there and do whatever you want me to do. The other thing that I want you to see this morning is I want you to see this Joseph. And I want you to pick it up in verse 13 with me. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. I don't know about you, but in the first two chapters that we have of our Bible, Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2, four different times the angel of the Lord is going to appear to Joseph. If I'm Joseph, I would not like to sleep anymore. I would try to figure out, Lord, if you're going to appear to me, every time you show up, you, you totally mess up my world. First time you showed up, you brought this individual in my life. You gave me this gift called Mary, and my parents agreed, and we're going to get married. And then all of a sudden, you come tell me she's good. She comes and says, by the way, I'm going to have a baby. And God put this baby inside my womb. And now Joseph's in his mind, in his right mind, he's saying, you know what, God? This is crazy. I'm going to set this girl off to the side. I'm not doing this. And then the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, hey, hold on a second, Joseph. I've got a plan for you. I want to disturb your world so you will learn to trust me. I want to disturb your world so that the world will know forevermore. That there will be one way of forgiveness. His name is Jesus. There will be one opportunity of hope. His name is Jesus. There will be one demonstration that God will be with us. And Joseph, i want going to give you the opportunity to name this boy. His name will be Jesus. Second dream. Move to Egypt. Now, just remember that Joseph is just a carpenter. And the angel Lord appeared to him and said, move to Egypt. What is he going to do in Egypt? How is he going to take care of his family? Most people think that he took the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh and he used those things to take care of his family. He he took those things to be able to, to supply the needs of his family. But why did he take them to Egypt? Of all the places that he could have went, why Egypt? Well, the answer is in verse 18. If you go back, and if you like to study the Old Testament, go back, to old, go back to Hosea chapter 11. Because out of Egypt, the Messiah will come. It's going to be very clear for the Jews. He's going to go back again. Oh yeah, he's going to be born where? In Bethlehem. He's going to be born of a virgin. Yeah. Where is this Messiah going to come out of? He's going to come out of Egypt. That's why God said, hey, I've got a plan, and I need to move the Messiah from Jerusalem to so Bethlehem, now I need to take him down to Egypt. How is he going to get to Egypt? He's going to wake Joseph up in a dream, and there's going to be a wicked king that's going to destroy children. But he's not going to destroy the Messiah, because i won't to take him to Egypt. And then if you read on, and, and I, as I was, um, before I run away from this, can you imagine how many children, do you have any idea, any thought, have we ever spent any time thinking, about how many children died because of Herod's choice some people think 30 they don't think Bethlehem was a really big town 30 60 it's amazing how somebody that probably should have been welcoming the messiah but because of his whatever thing whatever the circumstances of Herod's life were were the only his he allowed his soul to go so far that he was going to be willing to kill children to think in his mind he'll be able to save his empire if he just wipes out children. Unbelievable. But to fulfill the passage of Scripture that you have in front of you, to be faithful to the Word of God as, as, as Hosea prophesies, Hosea chapter 11, and then if you even go back, if you keep on reading now, you go back to verse 19. And Herod died, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in Egypt again. He said, get up, take the child and his mother. Go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. All right, God, so you want me to move back to Israel? And if you read on farther uh, in verse 22, but when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, having been warned in a dream. He withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in the town of Nazareth, so that it was fulfilled. So that it would be fulfilled, what was said through the prophets: He will be called a Nazarene. And you can find that in Jeremiah. I uh, know that Jeremiah is where you find the weeping of the children, and then um, Isaiah is where you find out of the branch of Jesse, where he come uh, from an out of a Nazarene. I realize that's a lot of details, and sometimes our minds get fuzzied up in the details. So let me make it really simple. David, or Joseph, listened to the voice of the Lord. He married Mary. He moved to Egypt. He came back. He was directed to go to to Nath. Let me ask you a question. What does your life look like when it comes to a life of obedience to the voice of your Lord? The Magi didn't just say, hey, I want to worship you in a setting, in a feeling concept. They moved to Jerusalem and eventually made it to Bethlehem and they worshiped, they gave gifts. Joseph was willing to to do what God had called him to do in different ways. When the angel of the Lord appeared, Joseph obeyed. So I take you back to my beginning word. Expectations. Are you still worshiping your Lord even though he has not met your expectations? Are you still worshiping your Lord for what He has brought into your life? If you say that He is your Messiah, do your actions demonstrate that He is your Messiah? As I was doing my devotions um, this week, I was brought to a passage of Scripture that reminded me of this very powerfully. The passage of Scripture that most of us know one verse that we really like in this chunk of Scripture, but we haven't wrapped our minds around a chunk of that Scripture. Here's that Scripture. This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. How many times this week have we said to ourselves, well, that's not really sin. Well, that's, not, that's just not a big deal. Well, that, that really doesn't matter. Nobody will ever know about it. We are our best our own, we are our best advocate for not when we sin. We can, we can rationalize our sin away in a heartbeat. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. As I was thinking my way through First John chapter 1, 5 through 10. That's a difficult message to listen to it challenges me to walk in the light it challenges me to run to him for forgiveness and it challenges me to be obedient to the truth of Scripture so this morning I asked it's easy to gather as a building as a group of believers and say oh yeah I went to church today yeah we we worship kinda like that group of songs that was pretty cool The preacher, he talked just about the right amount of time. He didn't let us out too late. Okay, it's time for lunch. And it is getting close to time for lunch. But ask you, the Magi worshipped and it cost them something. So this morning, as you've gathered here, will you truly worship it? Will we truly say, Father, not my will, but yours to be done. Father, you have brought a disturbance in my life, but I still want to move towards you. And then where it gets really interesting, because we can kind of fudge our way around those things. But when he just puts it in black and white right in front of us. Will we call sin what he calls sin? Will I call truth what He calls truth? In a world where you can find your own truth. The choice will be yours today. Let's pray, Father, I thank you for your word that's before us and in our hands and we probably have multiple copies of it but this morning as we pause just to to so look at a brief section of Matthew chapter 2 and see Magi, we see Joseph, we see Herod, we see gifts. Those are all kind of neat things and kind of nice afternoon thought processes, but where it really gets hard is will we truly worship? Will our lifestyle demonstrate actions that look like you, Jesus? When we see truth, when you step into our lives the way you stepped into Joseph's life, said, "This is what I want from you, Joseph. This is where I want you to go." Will we follow you when nobody else is watching? When it's not easy, when it's not comfortable, when our hearts are broken, when our hearts are confused, when our hearts have no hope, that we pause and say, "Wait a minute, Emmanuel is with us. I have hope. Today. I have comfort today. I have truth. I have understanding." I have a counselor. So Father, as we leave this building, may no individual that came in this building leave the same way they came. Holy Spirit, would you do something in each of our hearts? But not just stuff that makes us feel good. Holy Spirit, do things in our hearts to make us look more like your son. Make, Make us look more like our Savior, who is Jesus Christ who is going to sacrifice and serve and die on a cross for us. May those characteristics live out in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. In your name I pray, amen.